I'm sure many of you have been to a wedding feast or celebration before. In fact, uh, we had one just yesterday here in our parish. And if you're married, you've been to at least one wedding, your own. So you're probably familiar with the idea of the wedding and the celebration and the joy that's there. In our gospel passage, Jesus is telling a parable about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, we've been listening to lots of parables, and Jesus seems to be saying the same thing at the very beginning. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he does that because the kingdom of heaven is so vast that one parable cannot possibly give us the right and full and complete picture of what the kingdom of heaven is truly like. And so he needs to use multiple parables in order to reveal to us what it is like. And in this parable, he's talking about it being like a wedding feast, a big celebration, a time of joy and rejoicing that the father is throwing this celebration for his son. And his son is being married. Now, if we think about this parable, Jesus has particular people in mind as to who we're referring to. The father is God the father. The son is God the son. And Jesus has a bride that is the church. So this celebration is talking about what happens when God is throwing this big banquet, this big celebration, this wedding feast for his son. And everyone is invited, but initially he invites a chosen people, and they refuse. They don't want to go. I mean, if you, if you think about the times that you've been invited to weddings... Probably, initially, when you read it, you're probably flattered. Oh, this person cares about me. They want me to be a part of the joy that they're celebrating. But you might also have your own reasons why you might not want to go to that wedding. Maybe you don't know the couple very well. Maybe you think that they might expect you to bring something and you don't really have anything to give them. And so, to avoid the awkwardness, maybe you decide not to go at all. We can have our different reasons why we might resist, why we might hesitate to go to a wedding. But I would certainly hope that if you decide not to participate in a wedding that you're invited to, you wouldn't have the same response that we hear in the later part of this particular gospel. He sent his servants out, and the people refused to come. He sends them out again with a particular message. Tell those invited, behold, I have prepared my banquet, my calves and fattened cattle are killed, and everything is ready. Come to the feast. It's like, this is this time of great joy and celebration. Come, be a part of this. This will be great. But we hear the response. Not only did some people ignore it, but some of the servants were mistreated and even killed. Like, if someone came to your house and hand-delivered to you an invitation to a wedding... Even if you decided not to go, I would certainly hope you wouldn't, like, mistreat or put to death the messenger. I mean, that sounds kind of ridiculous. It sounds outlandish. And yet, that's what seems to be happening in this parable. Well, and and why would he say that? And who are these people that are invited, that are refusing to come, who would go to such extremes as to kill the messenger? Jesus tells us at the very beginning of our gospel passage. 
It says that he spoke to the chief priests and elders of the people. The chief priests and elders of the people. They're the ones who should be helping all of the Jewish people to recognize the Messiah when he comes. And when he comes, he, he shows them that he is the Messiah, not only through the parables he tells, but the miracles he performs. And yet many of the chief priests, many of the scribes, many of the elders see Jesus as a threat, not as the one that they've been waiting for, not as the one that they should be pointing everyone to, but as a challenge to their power and authority. If Jesus is going to start a new covenant, then they who are in charge of the old covenant are going to be out of a job. They're jealous of Jesus. They're being prideful, and so they resist what he is offering them. And in this parable, he's extending the invitation again. He's trying to help them recognize they are the chosen ones who are initially invited, the ones who should know best who he is, because they are the ones who have studied scripture. They are the ones who are teaching the people. They are the ones who would know better than everyone else who the Messiah is, what he's going to do to reveal himself. And yet, because of their sin, they refuse. They refuse to be a part of this new covenant. They refuse to come to this wedding feast. They refuse to be his follower. Now, just imagine if if you had this great celebration, this awesome gift that you had prepared for someone, someone that you love, someone that you cared for, and they just flat out rejected it. I mean, maybe... Maybe you prepared this great Christmas gift for uh, one of your relatives, a spouse, a child, grandchild. You spent hundreds of hours building this yourself, and you give it to them, and they're like, what's this? I don't want this. Like, how much would that hurt? And yet, that's kind of like what's happening in this passage. The Heavenly Father prepares this great celebration, this wedding feast. And he's super excited about it, and he's inviting the chosen people who should know best about who Jesus is. And yet, they not only ignore it, but they also mistreat the people who bring the message, the prophets. They, they kill some of them as well. They don't want to be a part of this wedding feast. It makes sense that the king would be enraged, that he would be very upset about all of that. Because he was trying to invite them to something joyful, and they just rejected him. But Jesus is also pointing out something else, that because the chosen people rejected the invitation, God extends the invitation to everyone, the bad and the good alike, it says in our gospel passage, such that everyone is invited to be a part of the wedding feast. Everyone is invited to be a part of this celebration. And the servants go out to gather anyone that they can find. It's interesting, though, that as the passage goes on, it mentions that when the hall is filled with guests, somebody comes without a wedding garment. Now, if the king tells us, I want you to come, and I prepared everything, then he's going to give us everything that we need in order to participate. He's going to give us everything that we need in order to be in that celebration as we ought. If he invited this individual through his servants to come, he would have provided the wedding garment so that this person could come to the wedding feast. The fact that he comes, but he doesn't have the wedding garment is a sign of his rebellion, a sign of his rejection of what was offered to him. 
Now, this may seem like a strange term. What are we talking about when we say this wedding garment? It actually goes back to when we first start this relationship with the Lord, when we enter into the mystical body of Christ, the bride of Christ that is the church, it goes back to baptism. At baptism, there is what we call the white garment. And that white garment is a representation of the soul. It's a representation of being washed clean in the sacrament of baptism. It's a sign that we have the grace, sanctifying grace, to get to heaven. It's a way that we can say that we have Christ clothing us, that we're putting on Christ because we are becoming united with him. This baptismal garment, this white garment, is the same as this wedding garment. The wedding feast that we're hearing about is the celebration of Christ uniting with his bride that is the church. And we hear about that also in the book of Revelations. It talks about the wedding feast of the Lamb. That is the union at the end of time of of Jesus and the church. And the big celebration that takes place. And so this person who doesn't have a wedding garment must have lost the wedding garment or destroyed the wedding garment, somehow gotten rid of it by his own choice. He chooses to reject the grace to go to heaven. He chooses not to be united with Christ. And so when he shows up, he's not prepared to be a part of the celebration, which is why he's rejected. But that was his own free choice. And that's what happens when we sin seriously. We choose to not be a part of the celebration. We choose to to destroy or get rid of that wedding garment. When we talk about the wedding feast, yes, it does take place at the end of time, but in some ways it's already started, it's already begun. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven may be likened to this, this scenario, this parable. The wedding feast of the Lamb is something that we're actually celebrating right now. The Mass. The Mass is the celebration of the wedding of Jesus and his bride, the church, the union of the two. This big celebration. Yes, we see it in in Revelations, and it happens at the end of time, but it's also happening now. At Mass, we have heaven and earth coming together. God is not bound by time. If he wants to do things in a different way, he can. And so he can take this new covenant initiated by Jesus at the Last Supper, this covenant that he talks about, the covenant in his body, in his blood, the celebration of the Mass, the gift of himself on the cross made present at the altar, he can make that happen. He can make that event from way back when be present to us now, mystically, mysteriously, spiritually, but really. And that total gift that Christ is giving of himself is what happens in heaven. It's what's revealed to John the Apostle who wrote the the book of Revelations. It's what he sees happening. There's a, a famous Catholic author, Dr. Scott Hahn. He was... Um, an evangelical Protestant, and he was very well versed in sacred scripture. And in his study of scripture, it was pointing him towards Catholicism. 
And so he just figured he had to try this out. So he goes to a Catholic Mass, and as he's watching what's happening, he's like, wait, I know what's happening. This is the book of Revelations. This is the wedding feast of the Lamb. He's like, he, he says in his, uh, his remembrance of that occurrence, he kind of wanted to like jump up and tell everyone, hey, we're in the book of Revelations right now, and here's the, the chapter, and here's the verse, to let them know that what's happening is what's in Scripture. What's happening is what's happening in heaven. Heaven and earth meet at, the, at Mass, the celebration of the wedding feast of the Lamb. In a few moments in the celebration of the Mass after the consecration, I'm going to say, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. I'm quoting different parts of sacred Scripture, in particular the book of Revelations. It's the wedding feast. And Jesus is offering himself totally and completely to us in the celebration of the Mass. He gave himself totally on the cross, and he gives himself totally in the Eucharist. These separate occurrences he makes into one, one thing, one gift of himself. And at Mass, we're called to respond to that. Not just listen and say, oh, Father Lampe prays pretty well. No, we are called to actually give ourselves back to the Lord, to make an offering of ourselves. As Jesus gives himself to us, we are to give ourselves spiritually to him, to offer him everything, our joys, our sorrows, our difficulties, our challenges, our friends, our families, our co-workers, all that's happening in our lives. We give that to the Lord during the celebration of the Mass. We offer that along with the offering of Christ to the Heavenly Father, And just as he transforms bread and wine into his body and blood, he takes what we offer and he makes it into himself. When we offer ourselves, he makes us more into himself. Which sounds really strange and weird, but like we're part of the mystical body of Christ from baptism. We are already a part of Christ. And so when we offer ourselves in union with him, we become more like him, Jesus who is perfect. We become the best version of ourselves when we participate well in the Mass. That's actually the primary way of participation, is making that offering, offering ourselves to the Lord and all that we have and Jesus alive within us. So we don't even have to necessarily say anything at Mass. But if our hearts and our minds are focused on the Lord, making that gift, uniting with the offering of Christ at the altar, then we are participating fully and completely even if we don't say a word or sing. Now, the idea of saying words and singing is to try to help that interior movement, that interior participation. And so, we see in our Gospel passage the wedding feast of the Lamb. And this is the Mass. And this is something that's precious and awesome because God is giving himself totally and completely to us. And why would we want to miss out on that? Why would we want to miss out on being made more loving, more kind, more perfect, more generous to one another? Why would we want to miss out on being with our Lord who gives himself totally and completely to us in the most Holy Eucharist? The Mass is so awesome, and there's so much going on that we don't actually see spiritual realities taking place that are beyond our ability to sense them. Sometimes the Lord allows certain people 
to get a glimpse of these spiritual realities taking place at Mass that the vast majority of people are unable to see or comprehend, but we know by church teaching is actually taking place. There is a short film about seven minutes long called The Veil Removed. It can be found online. It can be found on YouTube. It has over 2.4 million views. It was posted about three years ago or so. And in it, we can see some of the things by special effects of what others have seen by the grace of God to gain a greater understanding of what's really happening at Mass. So I invite you to consider uh, looking that up online on YouTube, The Veil Removed film, and uh, enjoy getting a greater understanding of the awesomeness that's taking place in the mystery of the celebration of the Mass.